and we are now uh, going to go to the border of Turkey and Syria. I think it's very interesting uh, in the news there, 800 people have escaped and that is the camp, the ISIS camp, uh, where Lisa Smith and her daughter uh, were and the cards are saying that it is now without guards. But as you know, uh, Turkey launched a series of attacks against the Kurds uh, in northeast uh, Syria. And I'm going to be talking to Colm Doyle, who has lived in that part of the world, and Colonel Colm Doyle, and he's been on with us uh, many times before. But first of all, I'm going to go to Orla Guerin because she's on the move. She of the BBC International Correspondent. Uh, Orla, where are you? And can you bring us up to date on people being killed or displaced and how it is impinging on civilians as well as fighters. Well, we're close to the Syrian border, the Turkish-Syrian border now, and the latest displacement figures are quite staggering. It's only day five of this operation, which Turkey calls Operation Peace Springs. And the United Nations is saying 130,000 people have been displaced in just five days. Now, bear in mind, Marin, that these are people who in some instances would have been displaced many times before, might have had to flee four or five times already in the course of Syria's very long conflict. And also, of course, worth pointing out, that Turkey began this operation by saying it was going to create what it describes as a safe zone, allowing for the return of about 4 million refugees that are currently inside Turkey. Well, instead of that, what we are seeing is vast areas of displacement. Uh, The latest casualty figures we have are that about uh, 30 people have been killed, 30 civilians have been killed. Those figures are coming to us from monitoring organisations outside the country. It's very difficult to get reliable, up-to-date information at the moment from inside Syria. But there are about 20 people who have been killed also on this side of the border in Turkey by incoming mortar fire. But I think the major concern internationally today will be that breaking news about the mass escape from a camp in a place called Ain Issa. Now, the initial reports are still coming in about this, but it seems pretty certain, according to Kurdish officials, that around 800 people have left that camp. They are uh, IS sympathisers, suspected IS fighters and their families. The reports are saying that the camp came under fire from Turkish warplanes and either the guards voluntarily decided to open the gates because civilians were at risk or there was fighting between some of the IS members in the camp, excuse me, between some of the IS members in the camp and the guards. But either way, uh, the upshot of that is that around 800 people are, are said to have got out through the gates. And of course, this has been the major concern of the international community, one of the major concerns since this offensive began, that the very hard-fought gains uh, in the fight against Islamic State would be put at risk. The um, By the way, if they did escape, uh, now I know that you're not actually there, like where would they go to looking at the terrain and looking at even just be on beside us now, we have a news thing on, their places on fire. Um like, when you do escape from a prison like that, where, where do you escape to? 
Well, people are moving generally away from the border. All of those who've been fleeing in recent days have been trying to leave areas close to the border because according to aid agencies, as many as half a million people are living in that strip along the border and they are directly now in harm's way. We have seen ourselves in the past few days massively heavy fire coming from this side of the border, airstrikes, artillery fire, mortar fire, raining down uh, on two main towns just inside the border, Talabiat and Ras al Ain. We know at this stage that uh, Turkish forces are claiming to be in, in complete control of Ras al Ain. And footage that we received yesterday from the town makes it look like a ghost town, basically ah. cleared out of civilian life and now just an area where, where fighting is taking place. So there isn't a safe location. There isn't a safe corridor. Uh, some people are saying, civilians have been saying, that they're having to flee to areas where there are no where there's no water, where there's no food. Uh, we received very, very distressing images yesterday of a mother holding the body of her little girl. And initially, when we saw those pictures, we thought the child was actually dead. Uh, it transpired that the child was extremely weak, very, very ill. And the mother said she had had no food and no water for four days. So the civilian impact is absolutely dreadful and growing. And this right. is in an area which has already been subjected to so many years of war. Absolutely. Um, and there's an article which I won't discuss with you. I'll come back to um, with the panel about... Um, it was quoted, so it's slightly out of date now, and it was a quote from the cards to say while we guard this ISIS army our families are attacked so I mean the cards have been dumped on it seems uh, since the beginning of time certainly since the end of the Ottoman Empire and as you look at Erdogan saying he wants this strip this buffer zone he wants to move Syrians that are in his country along there uh, where people really believe that what he wants to do is get rid of the cards. Where does Assad figure in all this? Well, I should say that the, the operation that President Erdogan is carrying out, while it is the subject of enormous and growing international condemnation, it is very popular here in Turkey. Uh, he has strong support from the public. He has support from uh, parties in parliament. It is seen very much here by many in Turkey as serving two purposes. One is creating a more secure situation along Turkey's border. Yeah. Many people here believe they are actually at risk from Syrian Kurdish fighters, who, of course, they paint with the same brush as the band Kurdish separatists, the PKK. Yeah. So many people in Turkey would subscribe to that opinion. And there are more than 4 million Syrian refugees inside Turkey, and that has been the situation for many years. They are a burden on the Turkish economy, yeah. and, and they are now a political issue for President Erdogan. And it is a very popular thing here for him to be able to say, I will be sending these people home. So that argument gets a very different reception here inside there Turkey. But I've, I think what we, what we have seen particularly in the last 48 hours, is an absolute crescendo of international concern. I mean, in, e in every direction you look now, there is condemnation, there is criticism, there are calls for President Erdogan to halt this offensive. Uh, we have seen France and Germany, for example, uh, banning arms sales. We've had Britain last night. There was a phone call from the Prime Minister to President Erdogan saying that Britain could not support the operation, calling on him to halt the troops, bring them back, get involved in negotiations. We've had the Americans saying that they are doing, the Turks are doing severe damage 
to their relations well, with the Americans are kind of in a, a nod moral position uh, on this one because uh, many of the much of the coverage suggests that he was given an open door uh, by President Trump, but um, just, I'm terrified... Well, there's I'm going no to... doubt about that, Marion. I mean, there is no doubt about that because the key point in all of this and, and the final trigger, if you like, for the Turkish invasion was when America pulled back its troops from two key observation posts along the Syrian border. They didn't pull out all of their forces. And in fact, yesterday, uh, we received exclusive footage of US troops still in position quite close to where their allies, the Kurds, are suffering these massive losses. And those U.S. troops were manning roadblocks, just literally standing by. So it's very clear that in in deciding to pull back those U.S. troops, whether President Trump will ever admit this or not, the Turks interpreted this as the green light. President Trump was never going to allow U.S. troops to be caught in harm's way. Once they were taken out of the path of the U.S., of the Turkish invasion, President Erdogan decided he was going to go ahead. So there is no doubt about the very close links between those two things, however much President Trump might like to deny it now, uh, and however much he's now flailing around trying to find some kind of coherent position and trying to find some way to halt this offensive. But there's no indication that President Erdogan is listening to any of the international criticism, and I think it will be some time before that takes effect. I don't think he will be willing to stop this until he has made significant gains and can turn around to his domestic audience and say, here's the victory I promised you. Right. Um, You were at the funeral of a nine-month-old initially and then many others. These were the the realities. When you talk in statistics, it's different to actually thinking of a nine-month-old being buried. Well, that funeral was was particularly... um, Heartbreaking, I would say, because it was a little boy called Muhammad Omar. And in the, in the most cruel twist of fate, uh, he and his family were actually Syrian refugees. Now, he was killed on this side of the border in Turkey in the town of Akchakale. He was inside his own home with the rest of his family. And uh, mortar fire came from the other side of the border. And we spoke briefly to his mother at the funeral on Friday. And she told us that she had had six girls before she had a boy. She said, I waited 17 years to see him, uh, and now he's gone. So a dreadful tragedy for one family. But, you know, it is important to say that children are being buried on both sides of the border now. There is bloodshed on both sides. And earlier on during the week, uh, we had the story of of a little girl from inside the Kurdish-controlled areas in the town of Kamishli, she had lost her leg, again, I saw just staying her. outside yeah. her house. Yeah, and, and her brother, who was just 12-year-old, was killed. So the civilian cost in all of this is mounting. The humanitarian cost is mounting. The consequences in terms of, of the progress made against Islamic State. And also, I would have to say, Marion, the risk of this spiralling dreadfully out of control. We have had the first confirmation of a roadside execution by forces allied to the Turks. Video emerged yesterday, which we have now been able to verify. 
of a prisoner literally being executed on the side of the road. So it's not just the scope of the operation, the aims of the operation, but it's now the conduct of the operation that are going to come under very close scrutiny. Right. Listen, um, Orla, very nice to talk to you. We were worried that we wouldn't get a phone line to you. Uh, So thank you very much indeed for taking our call. Uh, That was Orla Guerin, BBC International uh, correspondent who does amazing work, I have to say. Uh, and I will uh, go now go, <clears throat> excuse me, if I may, to uh, the Limerick studio. And thank you indeed, um, C- Colonel Colm Doyle, uh, for waiting for us. But we were just afraid we might lose uh, that line. Um, you lived in the region, you worked in the region, you worked, you know, with various people from UN to to whatever and you know the region very, very well. Can you, as briefly as possible, explain who the cards are and why nobody, they've been, it, it appears that they have been let down so many times? Uh, good morning. Um, I, I would say, first of all, the Kurds are one of the indigenous peoples that inhabit a mountainous region referred to by them as Kurdistan. And it's a region which straddles the borders of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and a small portion of Armenia. In total, they constitute about 30 million people, and they make up the fourth largest ethnic group in the Middle East. However, they have never obtained a permanent nation state. So, in fact, Kurdistan is a region rather than a state. Right. Now, In September, um, I think it was 2017, Iraqi Kurdistan held a uh, a referendum in independence and it was well supported by the Kurdish people of Iraq, despite the government terming it as illegal. But however, attempting to establish an independent state is still far from reality and there has been a determined opposition from these four countries, Turkey, Syria, Iraq and Iran, not to give the Kurds nationhood. Yeah, can I ask you why? I mean, you, you say that they were dealt out from uh, the end of World War One, and I don't know the region in, in, in the way that you do, but for some reason, everybody seems to hate the Kurds and kind of regard them as subhuman in comparison to themselves, but used them very successfully to squash ISIS. Well, yes, I mean, certainly, I mean, at, at, at the end of, of, with the defeat of the Ottoman Empire, at the end of the First World War, the Western Allies had made a provision for, in fact, a Kurdish state. But a few years after that, with the Treaty of Lausanne, which set the boundaries of modern Turkey, there was no provision made. So since then, these Kurds have lived in a region straddling these four nations, and none of those four nations want to grant them nationhood because they would lose territory. But they came into their own, really, in the modern area because in 1978, um, Abdullah Usalan established the organisation, the PKK. Now, this was an organisation established by the Kurds which called for an independent state. However, within six years of that happening, they turned themselves into an armed struggle and they have been basically in conflict with Turkey for the last three decades. 
But all of the countries, Iraq, Iran, Syria and Turkey, have treated the Kurds very badly. And all of them, in their own time, are determined that they will not give them their nationhood. And this makes it very difficult for the international community, for the United Nations, you know. Turkey, for example, is a member of NATO. Yep. So, 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 so what do they do? Um, the PKK, this organization, has been condemned um, by the United States and it's also um, deemed to be a terrorist organization uh, by um, the European Union. So what the Kurds have done in the last few years, however, is to occupy territory because of the civil war um, in Syria. And they joined up with an organization called the SDF, which is the Syrian Democratic Forces, which was basically a multi-ethnic alliance of mostly Kurdish and Arab militias that have been a critical partner on the ground in Syria for the United States-led international coalition against right. basically Islamic State. And if you remember the siege, um, I think it was 2014 of Kobani, that town close to the Turkish border, there was comment at the time that the Turkish president was more concerned about what the Kurds were doing as he would have been against Islamic State itself. Right. But when the, the Kurds defended that town against IS, the Turkish president would not allow any Kurds from inside Turkey to cross the border to come to their assistance. So really, the Kurds now have been dealt a, a massive blow with the decision by the United States to pull out. And as Orla Gerlin rightly pointed out, it really gave Turkey permission to go in and take over this territory. Now, the question, of course, to be asked is, you know, if the Turkish president is going to try and have some sort of a safe zone uh, in northern Syria, not alone is he invading or having an incursion into Syrian territory, but he also has to get rid of the Kurds in order to allow the resettlement of two million, or he quotes even nearly up to four million uh, Syrian refugees. And where does he put the Kurds? Well, he doesn't really care. That's the that's the view. And when you ask the question of Orla Guerin, where do these Kurds go? Remember 50,000 of, of them being isolated near Singar during the war. They are a mountainous people. They really don't have a homeland. So all they will try and do is seek some sort of solace or security away from the territories at the moment. But I do think it is a, it is a great threat of a humanitarian disaster. Uh, just before I go to the panel here to talk uh, to you, Colm, didn't this happen also uh, during the whole Saddam Hussein carry-on and the free-flying zones and who got oil and all of that and there was money going in there and the Kurds used the money for education, improving yes. uh, thing, and at the end of it gone. Exactly and you may recall in 19 I think it was during the Iran-Iraq war in 1988 where there was a chemical attack um, used against the Kurds and about 5,000 of them were massacred at that time. Now, that caused an international outrage. But here we are now in 2019, and the Kurds could be in for with the actions 
of the President of Turkey in for a torrid time. Yeah. And it appears to be on the outside with the tacit support of the United States and President Trump. And I'll come back to what the rest of the world is doing and the UN, I mean, I know the UN is the best that we have, but it sometimes would make you weary uh, about its role and function. Dermot O'Hearn, you were uh, formerly um, Minister for Foreign Affairs. Uh, we don't necessarily, <coughs> excuse me, sing from the one hymn sheet with all of Europe on matters to do with international relations and, and foreign policy and all this. But <clears throat> we have had a good record, I think, of speaking up in situations like this. We have, but in relation to this, I mean, I think the um, responsibility for what has happened has to lie firmly on the door of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it's quite uh, amazing to think that they, I think they only, Colin might confirm this, um, they've only withdrawn 50 troops yeah. from this particular yeah, section. Yeah, that's what I saw the report. Um, apparently Trump said that as long as urban areas were not being targeted um, and so on and so forth, Trump is deciding foreign policy based on tweets. At one stage he said uh, if the Turks attack the Kurds um, that he will send in additional troops into the area. Um, he also said he would attack um, Turkey in terms of, uh, of sanctions. sanctions. Yeah. And the latest thing is he said he will mediate between the Turks and the Kurds. Well, if it hasn't been sorted by now, I don't think Donald Trump is going to. Um, but I, I think all, I mean, to come back to your point about, you know, uh, international organisations, this is the problem. I mean, when I became Minister of Foreign Affairs, one of the sort of terms I learned was multilateralism. Uh, and that's a fancy word for basically countries getting together in uh, uh, common alliances whereby they um, uh, uh, are, are there to put pressure in relation to different issues. Uh, the UN, 192 states, it's very difficult to get agreement around uh, a table. And the problem is some of the major countries, including the US, have a veto on that. That's the big problem with the UN. Yeah. Five um, of the founder members have vetoes, so they can stop anything. That's the problem with it. Uh, in relation to the EU, uh, generally speaking, we would uh, um, uh, uh, go along with the, the voice of the EU. It doesn't stop us from making our point, I think. Um, uh, what will sort this is international pressure, as, as Orla has said. It's, it's got louder and louder and louder, and it will. Um, it's, it's only when you see what is happening there um, that, that, that this is a disaster uh, unfolding as as all of these have done in recent times in front of our eyes Correct. and the international community is standing idly by i note that trump is due to meet Erd erdogan on the, i think the 13th of november i mean that should be fast tracked but trump has the key to this um, he's dumping on the Kurds who right. assisted him in getting rid of ISIS. That's the heartbreak. And, and this is and uh, apparently Trump at some um, one of his meetings in America. I mean, this is all about domestic politics. He is basically wanting to be able he's to say to his, his yeah that we have we have drawn. But apparently, he said at a recent meeting that. Sure, the, the, the ISIS um, uh, uh, people, um, 70,000 uh, of whom are in, a, in camps in this area, 2,000 in prison, uh, that the Kurds have been minding with the Americans. He said, well, sure, they could end up in Europe, as if that's a good thing. Well, uh, we'll uh, come back to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Niamh, you wanted to come in there. 
Well, I, I think it actually links in also to some of the broader stuff that's going on around the impeachment of Donald Trump because if you follow this on social media, there's been a fair bit of coverage of the interactions that the Trumps have had with Erdogan and with Turkey and the kind of inappropriateness of that relationship for want of a better word there's a tweet of him himself and his daughter in Turkey he has business interests there so I, I do think it links into this broader macro piece around Trump and his impeachment but there is a second piece of it Marianne and I think you highlighted there about Assad and the Russians because this is the other piece that's relatively silent yep. and there's a number of pieces there's one piece particularly in the Sunday Business Post today that uh, talks about Emmanuel Macron and I'm sure this is something that's going to come up in his meeting with Angela Merkel he is arguing for a repositioning of Europe's relationship with Vladimir Putin. And of course, the, the Russian influence in this region has been absolutely formative on how this conflict has gone. In stark contrast, it had to be said to the European Union's role in the region, which right. has not been... Uh, well, I was listening to some Kurdish spokesperson yesterday saying, where do we go now? Mm. We um, go to Putin... Or we go to Assad. You wanted to come in there for a moment, yeah, yes? I think there's just a couple of points on this for me. I think uh, I was completely shocked during the week when, when I heard Trump talking about, you know, the fact that there was some association with, well, you know, they hadn't helped us back in the war, therefore, you know, we don't owe them anything. Normandy. Um, and this, this is all about you know, land. and Gallipoli. Yeah, making anyway. so flippant of it. And, and of course, the importance, again, here, and this really highlights the real importance of people like Orla and good journalism, which is fundamentally important to this side of the world where only when you bring the human nature and those stories of those children back yeah. does it kind of hit home here. And I think in some ways we've lost a little bit of empathy, um, maybe because there's so many horror stories nowadays or maybe because people like Trump are starting to actually have influence here as well. And that, like recently we had huge stories around direct provision centres here and how, you know, well, humanitarianly they're terrible places to go. Well, I'm sure these people would just only love to come over now and get a bit of safety. And, and I think we ourselves need to look at how we are changing as a society in relation to how we see these things. Because I think the politicians are not, uh, and I mean uh, like Trump, not covering themselves in yeah. glory here. But, you know, if you look at what happened in Italy... Uh, with people coming over from North Africa and they came over and they came over and they came over and they were all deposited in Italy including by us I mean people were saved in the Mediterranean yeah. and then plonked into Italy and the rest of Europe did nothing and then what happens? You get people turning against um, immigrants yeah. and you get right wing views and you get Salvini and just like Erdogan I presume having four million people on your territory is not easy. And we were clapping ourselves on the back for sending a Navy ship over to do it yeah. and, and then yeah. committing to tiny, tiny numbers coming over here once they were vetted and processed and all the hard legwork, I suppose, was done to some extent. Mm. But I think what's most worrying about what's happened in the past week, really, there, like this conflict on, on the Turkish border has been coming for years. Yeah. It's been coming for a really, really long time and that, that bubble has burst. But it has burst with such ferocity yeah. in the space of three and four days that you're talking about 100, 150,000 people displayed. You're talking about, I, I, I don't know what the death numbers are yet, but they're going to be dozens. And this isn't going to end quickly. So it's opening up a whole new front that's going to run and okay. run. Okay, let me go back to Colm. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, Colm, you worked with the, with the UN. Some of us get weary because, obviously, of the vetoes that exist. But 
clearly you wouldn't have worked with them if you didn't see a purpose in them. Uh, how do you see what might be possible to do now or will there just be slaughter of the cards? I can't, I can't really answer that because uh, I don't know you know, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I think for, from the point of view of the references to Russia, uh, it is quite interesting because Russia is obviously eager to see the United States troops leave Syria. That would weaken Washington's influence in the region and is determined to draw Turkey away from NATO. So um, this suits Russia to a certain extent. Um, you know, President Putin's influence is quite considerable now in the Middle East, particularly in Syria. He's now a yeah. major player. And, um, you know, this Turkish president is determined and will go against the international, um, you know, opinion. He said, I am determined to carry out what I think is right for Turkey and I will not be deterred from doing it. And if you do not agree with what I'm doing, well, then I'll just send, you know, four million refugees into Europe. Yeah. So he has a certain amount of what he deems is legitimacy. And unfortunately, whether we accept it or not, the President of the United States has in my view, uh, concurred w with that sentiment. I don't know what the international community can do. As I said earlier, Turkey is a member of NATO. That's a dilemma for that organisation. But I would have to say in relation to the United Nations, and I worked there for, for a few years, it can be a very bureaucratic organisation that takes so long to make decisions. However, what I would say in its defence is the United Nations is still the only global organisation that exists. It is the one global organisation that one side will go to if it wants to take a case against another and both sides will accept it. Of course, it is very slow to move because it doesn't have a standing army. Yeah. And uh, that is one of its dilemmas and it takes so slow to make decisions. The Security Council or the permanent five of the Security Council are one of the biggest obstacles to progress because it is very easy for the major powers just to say, we'll take it to the United Nations, but we will exercise our veto. And I think until that dilemma within the UN is sorted out, things if will ever. move at snail pace. If ever. If ever, yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah, which is kind of... But as you say, it's it's all we have. Uh, but anyway, as we speak, those poor misfortunate people are being bombed. But, it, I mean, one has to be fair, they're bombing back. I mean, I mean that's war. And as yes. Orla was talking about the children, the nine-month-old uh, child and the 12-year-old boy, they are... Well, the the adults do too, but they are the kind of the essence of of what is all so wrong about war. Um, anyway, uh, I was going to ask you about other matters, but time has moved on. Uh, I want to say thank you very, very much for coming in uh, to studio, and we'll take a break as I say goodbye to Colonel Colum Doyle in the Limerick studio. Podcast the Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie/radio.